0: This is the Trying Again podcast, a story of miscarriage. I'm Rachel Smith. This is a podcast of passion as I explore a usually silent world and decide whether I wanna try again for a baby following multiple miscarriages. If you're here for the first time, you're very welcome. If you're curious, head back to episode one and listen through to get the full story to why I'm here talking about baby loss. This episode will explore ways of looking after our mental health following a miscarriage. The conversations that feature in the episode will be frank. You
1: need to be eating as well as you can. You
0: need to be sleeping as well as you can. You need to be getting
1: your 20 minutes exercise every single day. All the kind of basic stuff, tick, tick,
2: tick.
0: And they may be difficult.
2: My last miscarriage um, was during lockdown, first lockdown. Um, And following that, I had kind of just decided that's it. We really can't do this anymore. But they are needed.
3: If you haven't really Dealt with the core issues, you know, your anger, your frustrations, and what's going on, then it's so easy to go round and round in the cycle or get stuck at one point.
0: I have touched on this topic throughout the podcast. It's important to me on a personal level through my own experiences of what I call wobbles. I have felt anxious at the thought of trying again. I've had negative emotions of jealousy and low self worth. I've looked in the mirror and hated what I saw, hated my belly hated my body. I've doubted whether I'm a good person because I cried at the sight of a newborn baby even though that baby's mum and dad is someone I love. I think mental health care is an important area for discussion and I am in no way qualified to discuss this alone so I have looked around for some advice and support which led me to Julia Bueno. Julia is a psychotherapist and counsellor who amongst other areas supports people coping with baby loss.
1: When my first pregnancy ended in a very late loss. Um, I lost twins in my 22nd week of pregnancy. The, that experience, um, was, was pretty, um, shattering as you can imagine and changed me in many ways. And I, I went into my own personal therapy, but it was the sort of clincher, if you like, of, of making me realize that I did really want to, to go press ahead and, and retrain as a therapist and to specialize in that area. Um, for the reasons that still almost 20 years later uh, are common to, to many other women couples, that the, the, the grief and experience was so profound and so misunderstood and ill-supported that I became quite determined to do my best to support others.
0: And how have you found your steps have taken to cope with your losses?
1: Um, hmm. I, it's not an easy answer to that one because I um my I had in all um after I lost my first pregnancy I then had a my, my son who was born very early and that was a fairly kind of traumatic birth and his entrance to the world was pretty traumatic I then went on to have three more miscarriages over the course of another five six years or having another pregnancy so my process of recovery was sort of staggered each time it was a case of for me of of recovering from one loss and trying again. And so, um, it, it was a, it was a long and drawn out, uh, experience for me. But the things that I think that I could say have helped me along the way have included, um, personal therapy, which doesn't, doesn't mean that I think everybody should be in personal therapy, but the nature of, of my first loss was so shocking and traumatic. I, I definitely needed that. Um, and, uh, forging, support amongst others who uh, had tried a similar paths, which 20 years ago was more difficult to, to do I think you know the online world and the online support didn't really exist then so um finding your quote-unquote sort of tribe of support was more difficult but that that was um really wonderful when that did happen actually also my my voluntary work and my work for the miscarriage association as a lot of you know I find a lot of people um, similarly find great great source and strength in, in helping others and and indeed campaigning and advocacy that isn't for everybody but I'm the sort of person who who found that a sort of uh, there was something healing in, in going out there and kind of fighting the fight for other people um, so there are different kind of strands to to that but of course uh, alongside that I have the kind of benefit of all my training as a therapist and the therapy that I do that self-care is Something I have, I have learnt to do. Um, and, um, that of course kind of helps us with all the slings and arrows of life, but including that the kind of all, all that comes with repeated pregnancy loss.
0: Did you name your babies?
1: I did. I did. Um, my, um, babies, yes, I mean, I named them all. And my, my first babies were, um, were, uh, being a late miscarriage and happening on a labour ward in a hospital meant that um, the kind of protocols around their, my loss and their birth were different from my early miscarriage and my early miscarriages, because that's what happens. But, you know, There is this sort of medical division between early and late losses. So my, my first babies were um, cremated and we buried their ashes and we had a, a sort of funeral service with some close friends. Um so they were sort of publicly named, if you like, and they have a headstone. Um, our other babies, we didn't have that right of passage because, um, in short, we didn't have bodies to bury. So we didn't have the same kind of rights of passage and they were privately named. You know, this is something I, I explore in my book that a golden thread that runs through my book is, is that I don't believe in, in a sort of gestational pecking order of, of grief. And, but, but the reality is that later losses involve more of a kind of Bodily onslaught, and it's likelihood you will be in a hospital, and with the support of a labour ward, and you will also have a have a body to dispose of, and and have a a kind of ritually uh, accepted for want of a better word, but there's a rite of passage that we know about. But with early losses, we're deprived of that, and it becomes um, kind of more difficult to complete the rituals. You know, of course, all those names are part of my family equally.
0: And do you remember them? Are they' parts? Of, are they part of your life? Are they spoken of, or um, are they just personal to you? Yes,
1: but again, what's so kind of um, curious and interesting about this whole topic, and and just sort of tease out in the themes of my book about the kind of um, liminal nature of miscarriage, is that that um, with again going back to my first pregnancy that ended in my twins dying, they they. We have footprints made and I have photographs made. And so I, I, it's really easy for me to remember them. And I have the footprints that are framed are in my kitchen. So they are very much a part of the fabric of my family and people who come and visit and people come into my kitchen. They see the footprints and they see the names written under them. But of course, my other losses, I didn't have the the privilege of of those sort of um, incarnate memories. So they're, 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 they're more nebulous in the family. Um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm um but of course of course I I remember them and, and and in case of the um all my miscarriages were were very uh, visceral painful emotionally and physically events and they they can be very very alive in my mind even even now and that's that can often be the case you know you remember the very fine details the smells of the room and the you know I can still remember the um the color of the cotton in the um button of my husband's shirt in you know one of my miscarriages he held my hand it's something I was fixating on. I as a, a kind of mother of two sons now who are 10 and 17 have always been very very open about about um my other pregnancies and their kind of would-be siblings and we, we we speak very openly about that um and have very open conversations and they kind of puzzle around with that you know mum it's interesting. Well, I wouldn't be here if they would. They're those sort of existential puzzles.
0: When you talk people through their kind of five stages of grief, what is considered normal inverted commas in those situations, and when should someone worry in that situation? Yeah,
1: I, I, I mean, in a nutshell, I would begin to be concerned if somebody just it, it's really getting in the way of of functioning well in the in in the world and well not being sort of a high bar, but you know, if if you find that your quality of life is really um, being affected by your um, emotional responses still. So um, you're withdrawing from your friends and family. You're not being able to work effectively. You're kind of being very distracted by obsessional thoughts or incredibly low mood. If your mood is dipping such that, you know, you're not functioning in the way that you're used to functioning. um, These are all sort of warning signs. Um, it's totally appropriate after a miscarriage or two or three or four to to be to be bruised and battered and to take some time. Um, but as I say, if that's if it, during that time of um, and that time, I'm sort of saying very loosely, I don't want to, I don't want to put a number of weeks or months to it because it's it's so dependent on what you've been through. Mm.
0: As I say if someone comes to you how would you stop the negative coping strategies that's maybe been before that um would creep in like for me it was eating lots of haribo which i know seems really petty but i did eat a lot of it and which then damages my teeth which it's like a vicious cycle in
1: terms of if someone comes to me and they say look i've been trying this x y z and it ain't working or it's force it's entirely appropriate that you build up a network of support and you if all goes well you have one or two or three people that you can turn to I think in times of in the wake of pregnancy loss there are some people who get it and some people who don't mm-hmm. isolating experiences any kind of emotional um upset is it's it's in our heads and bodies we're alone with it so I spend a lot of time working with people around sort of self-care so for you Rachel just plucking that concrete example of haribos yeah fair enough you know that's it's an easy quick fix it, glad it's haribos are not a glass of neat vodka you know we, we all <laughs> yeah. turn to or shopping or compulsive shopping or, or smoking weed or whatever it is we all turn to things that are quick fixes to, to soothe the pain um but i've just said it it's a quick fix you know you eat the haribo and then your sugar shoots up and then shoots down you feel rubbish and then you do it again and you feel terrible about yourself so using that concrete example it's about um, just pressing the pause button, you know, why am I reaching for the Haribo? Well, my guess is it's not because you're bored at work; it's because you're really, really in pain. Um, and I use that word to just to cover lots of things. I imagine I'm not in your body, but the the, the grief and the sadness and the envy and the guilt and the uh, yearning and the and the and the um, but if we can just learn to be with those feelings just a little bit more we have to tolerate it bit by bit that only if we can be with those feelings then we can turn to ourselves with the compassion that we need just as the people you know that that our good support network can do for us we need you know we we can you know what it feels like when you're when you talk to somebody who just makes you feel a bit better you felt heard and acknowledged and Mm -hmm. assumed well we need to learn to do that For ourselves too and we tend to avoid it and especially when miscarriages in my in my experience is quite often plagued with a sense of guilt and 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 not liking ourselves and not liking our bodies and feeling self-critical it makes it that much more difficult to turn to ourselves with that kindness and compassion that we actually need
0: and i think that's the difficult thing i know was for me the um, I had people that would say to be kind, and I just didn't want to. I didn't like, I didn't like myself, and I definitely didn't like my body. So, <laughs> to to be kind to at that situation, it, that's really really tough. It is, and it
1: can get people really stuck. So, what I was what, what I would say to to you then <laughs> would be well. Okay, that, that's, that's normal. You know, self-disgust, self-loathing, blaming yourself. That's all part and parcel of the, of the, of the response. It's a very normal and usual response. So somehow kind of decoupling that self-criticism from yourself. Just seeing that self-loathing as a symptom in, in the same compartment as, as the, the sadness or the anger or anything else. to to wriggle away from that self-critic to see it for what it is as a kind of okay well so that you don't fuse with that self-critic otherwise we get stuck Mm. um so and and i often use the the kind of anchor of well hang on a minute if your best mate had just miscarried um and was eating lots of haribos (laughs) would you be sat there on the sofa next to her saying god you're disgusting look at you just as a sort of anchor think about why do i turn to myself in such a different way than I possibly would to anybody else that I cared about, mm. and when, and that can be quite stark. I kind of reminder, it's not the golden bullet; it's not going to necessarily change your behaviour overnight, but it's a place to start. Just beginning to think about how we turn to ourselves.
0: How do you get past the self-care with with people that just think it's like airy fairy, and yeah, you know, they should just you know toughen up and all the rest of it?
1: For me, I, I see self-care so different. It's actually. If you really want to dust yourself down and get on with it, you've got a much better chance of being, of doing that if you really look after yourself. You can't dust yourself down till you kind of clean up the wound and put the plaster on or, or whatever it is. You, you, it's, it's a trick to think that, um, we just need to kind of forget it and get on with it because it will, it will come up and creep us in, from behind and bite us in the bum. I talk to a lot of people who feel it's quite self-indulgent mm. to turn to themselves, but, it's not about self indulgence. Self indulgence for me, how I understand it, and, and I don't meet it very often, is when someone says, oh, woe is me. I've had it so much worse than everybody else, you know, stop the clocks. And that's not what it's about. This is, again, using that analogy, if your friend was going through it, this is about, I'm, I, I'm no worse. I'm no, I'm no better, no worse than any other human being. And I'm, and I, I'm suffering and I deserve, like every other, human being does to to have some kind of care attention so i can get back out in the world and be be who you want to be think about the things that you know make yourself feel better we do know but having said that there's all the obvious mental health care stuff which is really important um okay fair enough you might binge on haribos but (laughs) as i say you know press the boys button you need to be eating as well as you can you need to be sleeping as well as you can you need to be getting your 20 minutes exercise every single day All the kind of basic stuff, tick, tick, tick.
0: Whilst I was looking around on Instagram, reading some of the posts that people have been writing, I saw the page Living With Baby Loss. The writer Laura's story resonated with me. She had posted that she decided she may not try again. I was interested in her story and reached out. I found Laura is someone navigating this and also someone who's an accredited therapist in Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, Counselling and Psychotherapy. Surely, if anyone would know how to find ways of managing mental health concerns, Laura will know.
2: My last miscarriage um, was during lockdown, first lockdown. Um, and following that, I had kind of just decided that's it, we really can't do this anymore. Um, for a number of reasons, really. I think mainly kind of emotionally for both of us. Um, just kind of, you know, the stress that, that it puts you through. Um I think also kind of concern for what, what we were kind of putting our daughter through. Um, because I've had hyperemesis in all of the pregnancies, it it means that I'm pretty much bed bound if, if I'm not in hospital. Uh, so I can't work, I, I can't even have to, my daughter or my husband in the room with me because smells and movement and things trigger off my sickness. Um, so it, it felt really unfair, to, you know, to kind of put my husband through all of that again and having to kind of, you know, Financially pay for everything and kind of do everything practically. And then for my daughter as well, not to have, you know, her mum around. And um, so that was some of the reasons. Um, and then kind of physically, I felt it would be really unhealthy to keep kind of putting my body through it, um, especially because of all the medication I have to take when I'm pregnant. Um, and then also just kind of financially as well, in terms of, you know, we were paying for everything privately, which is really, really expensive. And um, I wasn't then able to work um, because I was unwell. Um, and, you know, the impact kind of immediately financially on that and the stress that it brings, but also kind of the fact that then you miss out on, you know, other things like, you know, being able to go on holidays and, and not to be worrying about money and things such as that. Um, so we had kind of decided that, you know, enough was enough. And, and during lockdown, unfortunately, um, we had to even pay and have the MBA, which is the, the removal of, um, of the baby um, because after ringing around, I think every NHS service in London and, and Essex, and they weren't able to um do the operation because of um covid and actually my local unit didn't even have a only pregnancy unit anymore that had been turned into a covid unit um so we spent a lot of money kind of on that operation and the operation itself was quite traumatic because everyone was in kind of full ppe um so we'd kind of decided that was it definitely kind of you know really can't do this again um and w- i was trying to work really hard at kind of being okay with that um and part of that was starting an instagram page um with the idea being that it was about um you know showing that you can kind of be okay after loss and that actually you know if it's not the life expected, it can still be a good life and it was, it was meant to be kind of quite a positive play um and also a place for me to finally kind of share my story and talk openly about what happened um but with similar people that have been in a similar experience, it wasn't something that I've kind of shared with kind of family and friends um and then within all of that, I then had a follow-up call, um, with my doctor as we had the results from, um, the baby that we had tested. Um, and they thought it was actually a, um, partial molar pregnancy. Um, so, and they thought that was the reason why I was so sick this time, even though I'd been on lots of medication for, for the hyperemesis. Um, and he was quite confident about adding another medication and that actually that then, you know, he felt quite confident things would be okay. Um, and much to my surprise, I started to get convinced again, <laughs> even though I had said never again, um, about actually, was I really alright at, 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 you know, not trying again? And actually, whilst we were being offered something new, which he was offering, um, you know, we kind of felt actually we really couldn't kind of give up at that point. So then the kind of Instagram changed, um, to being instead about kind of, okay, well, maybe, we, you know, we should try again, um, and it kind of went from there, really, um, and uh, up to now. And now we're in the place where you know we are, um, you know, trying again.
0: That is quite a journey to go from um, deciding no, as in point blank, yeah. no, to maybe. How does that feel? Yeah, I was surprised
2: because I was definitely, definitely no, and I was like, nobody. Every if I ever say that, I want to remind me of the hell that I'm going through. And I, and I think to be honest, if it if it, if it had just been the miscarriages, I mean, that was. I mean that is horrific enough. But um I would have been I would have tried kept, kept trying. It was more the high premises really that was putting me off. Um so I think the fact that they were adding something new in helped. Whereas I think if they weren't gonna change anything that you know, I d I wouldn't be able to try again because I just would think what's the point because nothing's different and the baby came back that you know it was chromosomally, chromosomally normal and there weren't any problems so you know there's, there's something in my body that, that's you know doing something I mean the miscarriages they've all they've all been different so I've had a range of kind of mis miscarriages uh, natural miscarriages and I've had others it, it, it kind of within context has made it kind of more difficult or kind of easier in, in some way so I didn't know anybody well I didn't think I knew anybody at the time because we didn't talk about it that had been through it um, so I thought the miscarriages what on the TV, which is where you know you have this pain and this sudden blush, rush of blood, and, and then it's all kind of over within half an hour, and, and you know, and it's sad, but it's all kind of over. And actually, in reality, you know, it was weeks and weeks of doctors not being sure if I was or not. And then when they were sure, you know, again, it was you know a day or a week of kind of really bad pain and and um, you know, lots of bleeding, and um, and I felt very embarrassed and shameful about it um so i did you know didn't tell anybody the third one was was really really difficult so um that was the one i lost at, at nearly 14 weeks um so and that was around so i found out i was pregnant um the same week actually that my my sister had passed away Um, then um had the 12-week scan that was all fine and then my mum actually came out to visit me and and um i was getting Scanned every two weeks in Singapore because of my miscarriages. So I remember saying to my mum oh, we'll come to a 14 week scan, you know it will cheer you up, you can see the baby um, and then you know was was told that the baby didn't have a heartbeat anymore um, and yeah, I mean I didn't even know what a miscarriage was or that that was a thing and thought you know I was safe, I'd had the 12 week scan, I hadn't had any bleeding um, so that one was particularly difficult and after that one I actually started having panic attacks um, which I've never really had anxiety before, certainly never had a panic attack. Um and actually so ended up kind of, you know, seeing a doctor in Singapore and got and, and had some medication and got referred um for some grief counselling. Um and had to really, really work hard at, at kind of my mental health. So really focused on kind of self care and, you know, going out for gentle walks and um you know, spending time with family and friends and and, and was finally kind of open with with people about that miscarriage and also other miscarriages as well, um, which was the turning point really that really kind of, um, helped to kind of have that support. Although at the same time was my first experience of kind of, you know, not everybody being supportive and not everyone saying the right thing. I had some private testing in Singapore, but then had, um, some more testing privately for through the NHS in the UK. So yeah, it's kind of been different, um, in different in different ways. And I think at the moment it's more now that we're trying again, it's more around kind of, you know, being aware of kind of depression and and trying to kind of really look after my self care. Um and also kind of obviously if you know, if I'm lucky enough to get pregnant again then the anxiety around around you know, how I'd feel about that and, and not ever kind of feeling safe really when I'm pregnant. Have you ever been able to enjoy
0: one of your pregnancies?
2: Yeah, I think only my first one with my daughter, um, you know, who you know, who's now sick you know although it was awful um to begin with and and high premises kind of took a lot away from it i just had no naivety I, I, you know i didn't know anybody well i didn't know anybody that's spoken about miscarriages obviously and now that i've spoken about it myself i've learned other people have come forward and said oh you know me too mm-hmm. um but i was just very naive i didn't you know i did have bleeding with my with my daughter at, um at 6 weeks but i never thought you know there was anything wrong with that and actually you know the bleeding turned out to be fine but I, but I never kind of imagined that I would be someone that would have miscarriages and certainly not recurrent miscarriages and, and certainly not kind of, you know, six years later they be here, you know, no further on really in terms of having a second child. And then the more they happen, um, the more your anxiety, because the more you realize that all the things that can go wrong um, and, and even now, you know, having a kind of more friends in, in the community of, of kind of baby loss and, and infertility, you know, as helpful as it is, it also opens your eyes to um, all the other things that can go wrong as well. Yeah. I, I remember having a panic attack for the first time, being like, what on earth is this? And then um, I just remember kind of just feeling so overwhelmed and, you know, st- struggling to breathe and, um, and then thinking, I really can't catch my breath and really then panicking more. And my husband was kind of like, what's going on? What are you doing? And I couldn't even kind of talk to explain to him that I couldn't catch my breath. And I remember trying to kind of then go outside. um, But in Singapore, the air was really, really humid. And then that kind of made me panic more. I felt like I couldn't get any fresh air. Um, And that kind of eventually, you know, calmed down on that episode. But then I had this fear of then having another panic attack, which then led to me... um, you know, having some medication um, for it to try and, you know, reduce
0: the anxiety. Why do you think that this area of grief is so difficult for people to approach?
2: A few reasons. I think if you haven't experienced it, I do think it is really hard to grasp how hard it is. Um, um, and I think some of it is around um, not wanting to upset the other person, you know, naively thinking that's the right way of handling it. I think some of it is around, you know, our own difficulty in, you know, not knowing what, what the right thing to say is. And, and really the right thing to say would be, you know, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm really sorry. How can I support you? Um, but actually instead, I think, um, you know, we're a society, society that wants to kind of minimize grief and not talk about grief. And we, and we want to fix things, I think. And, and, you know, it's something that can't really be fixed because, you know, it's, it's, it's really sad. You know, your baby died and it, you know, it's really sad and it can't be fixed. And I think, you know, we, we struggle with that as a, as a society. Um, and I think almost, you know, for some people it is unimaginable. They, they can't imagine kind of, um, going through that and how sad that must be. So they almost don't want to take themselves there by, by having that empathy for somebody else that's going through it. Um, and I think the problem is, is that when people are going through it, you know, similar to me when, I, when it first happened to me, you know, for some reason I had a lot of shame and I felt very embarrassed about it and I felt that I'd done something wrong and it was something to be hidden. Um, and it's only through, you know, talking about it more that, that, you know, it's been great that me talking about it has helped other people and, and other people that I know talking about it has really helped me. Um, you know, that really isn't the case, not to be embarrassed about. Um, but you know, even now, so for example, you know, I've got a separate Instagram account where I talk about it because if I've ever, um, mentioned it on a personal Instagram, it, it, you know, it's interesting to see people's reactions, you know, so I could post one thing where I'm out for dinner and, and you might get, you know, 50 likes and then you post. You know, a candle for baby loss awareness week and you know there's three lights so I don't you know I, I don't know what that is it's whether it's people think that you're kind of you know looking for sympathy or it's an attention thing you know or if people just really don't know how to to respond to it I've never ever been offered any mental health or emotional support or have been told anything about that with any of the miscarriages um, you know which is really really bad but but, but you know secondly there is no follow-up. You know, No, when you've had a miscarriage, nobody rings you the following week to say, you know, how are you or, or physically what's going on or let's check or, you know, I just find that really strange because when you have a baby, you get all of that. You know, so why is it any different when you have a miscarriage? Because there's still physical things and emotional things that can go wrong.
0: This was such an emotive area of discussion. I decided to open up to people on my Instagram feed asking what helped them with their mental health following a miscarriage. Here's some of those answers. By actors.
4: Allowing myself time out and acknowledging I was allowed to feel the way I did. I had lost a baby, and it was okay for me to grieve. Being referred to see an antenatal psychologist has been invaluable. Not only have we been talking about my losses, she has normalized and explained a lot of the feelings. She has also been giving me useful strategies and habits to put in place to help combat anxiety or grief. Improve my overall mental health.
0: Um, eight months of therapy. Quitting a stressful job six months later and starting over. Just something new. I also am very vocal about my journey, and that has 100% helped as well.
1: What helped my mental health after miscarriage? My dog. Yoga. Journaling. Therapy. And creating a new daily routine.
4: Initially, nothing helped, and I didn't want help. Then I started doing self-healing and seeking support from other healers. Energy healing and shamanism, womb healing, theta healing, self-hypnosis using rapid transformational therapy. I regularly meditate and I introduce yoga at least three times a week. I've also been doing journaling that I've found very
0: helpful. Writing is something I've turned to to help me process my grief. It helped with my mental health, I think, to get things out of my head and onto paper. This is pretty common. There's plenty of blogs and Instagram posts of people trying to find the words to explain how they're feeling. Lauren is someone who's taken it a step further, publishing two books sharing her story of her losses. Lauren has had four miscarriages and after NHS tests has gone private before deciding whether to try again.
4: So I wrote the first book. That is a romance novel that talks about like struggling to conceive and marriage and um, and then obviously um, having a miscarriage and ha- that's got quite a nice ending to it there. and I wrote that one first and then when I reread it myself I realized how much I'd actually left out uh, about the miscarriages so I'd wrote a really nice lo- love story with some sadness in it and then I I re- rewrote it, but just about marriage and miscarriage, which is a short book. It's only got about 40 pages. And that's literally about how, like, the first miscarriage, how I've dealt with things differently. Um, so I've, the first miscarriage, I just thought, oh, it's just bad luck. It's just one of those things that happens. Mm. Um, and But by the second and third one, I definitely didn't feel like that anymore. Um, and you definitely got more of sort of a self-blame thing it does to go in a little bit about depression and a bit about, um, PTSD. Um, that dread of obviously go- <laughs> when you go to the toilet and you, you dread seeing blood when you, when you are pregnant.
0: Well, had you been a writer before, um, your losses or what led you down the yeah. path of, of writing?
4: Never really written, um, anything before. I just, I kept saying, everyone would say, you're right. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely yeah, I'm fine. No problem. And, uh, i was, i was, had um while I, I was furloughed for a few weeks um, during the lockdown um it was actually shortly after i'd had my DNC. um so my husband was at work and I was just sat in the house um and he works long hours and I just thought i keep telling everyone i'm I'm fine but i'm not <laughs> and I can't tell anyone that I'm not because i don't want any i don't want anybody's sympathy I, I it's not what i want um so I just wanted a way to express myself. So I just started writing, um, just writing things down and then I'd write down a little bit every day about how I was feeling and um, and it, from day to day it would change.
0: And then you said you've got some of your readings that you were happy to share.
4: But I picked two out. So I picked um, one on a bad day and one on a, on a good day um, to share. Um, so this is the first one. It says, I don't know how to end this suffering. This pain so deep within my chest that I just want to scream. To the outside world, I'm no different, but I know I'll never be the same. I don't cry in public. I keep my feelings hidden. But when I'm alone, this anger hits me and I feel like I've been several rounds with Mike Tyson. I wonder if I deserve this pain. Did I do something so bad that I deserve to feel this way? This depression weighs me down so deep, I feel like I'm stuck in a hole too deep to get out of. The emptiness making me feel numb. The guilt I feel when I look in my husband's eyes and know it's my body from stopping him from becoming a father. I felt a mixture of emotions with each pregnancy loss, and each one tore my heart a little bit more. I loved you so much, but then you left me. I didn't even get the chance to hold you in my arms or see your beautiful face. I wish I could have met you. Seen your face, even if just for one moment. I will always wonder who you would have been. Would I have been a good mother to you? I wonder now if the four of you are together somewhere in heaven. I want to see the good in the world, but how can I when it took you away from me? I want a baby more than anything, but having another baby won't take this pain away from me, from losing you. I will always love you. I will always be your mother and remember you. I know I'll hold a baby in my arms someday. I still have hope. When that day comes, I will tell them about each of you and this journey. And it was, I couldn't decide at first whether how much truth to put into the book. So I wrote down everything that was true first, and then I added in some, some bits to make it a little bit of a nicer story. So a little bit of romance and um, a little bit of ha- like a happy ending, which obviously I haven't got that at the moment. So I almost put a bit of hope into the book. The second poem is I'm a soldier of the war I knew nothing about I was unprepared, young and naive I'm an expert now It's my fourth time on the front line I thought it'd get easier with time But it hasn't I'm stronger now When I feel weak somehow I find the strength to keep going I wasn't ready for this roller coaster I've been on But I'm surviving it I'm not alone It's okay to have a silent pain that no one knows about It's okay to share your grief. It's okay to feel the things that you do. Never give up. Fight and survive. For one day you will win the war. You are a strong warrior. So the two quite different poems. And it's just, they was written maybe two or three days apart. So it shows how different um, a couple of days can make. so it is it's uh I also think after about six weeks after you've had a miscarriage i def- that's definitely when i it starts to hit me and I don't know if it's a hormone level change or what that's definitely when I feel a bit more sad about things
0: mm. and how are you feeling now about it knowing it's coming on Thursday for these tests and things
4: i have got I am a bit excited um but I'm trying. I'm trying to sort of rein that in because I know on Thursday I'm having the test. He's going to speak to me. And he's going to explain what the tests are and things like that. But I'm only having the test. I'm not going to know anything else on Thursday apart from having a consultant to talk to who specialises in miscarriage. I'm not really going to have any answers. Um, so I'm trying to sort of rein that in for myself. Um, and then on a two two weeks later, I get the results. I think that'll be the day where it's obviously going to be, it's about three hours away, the clinic that I'm going to. So that'll be quite an anxious journey there. Um, and I'm hoping that you may just give me some answers or at least having someone even just to support you through your next pregnancy. So you, if you are anxious or worried, you've got someone who you can ring and say, something's not right or is this, this normal? Mm.
0: I think that's going to help.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I, even throughout this I still believe that I will be able to have children. I think it's just going to be a long journey. And I'm I may still have a few more losses along the way. Um but it was never something that I knew. I I knew what miscarriage was but it's never something I thought related would happen to me as awful as that sounds. So I think now when I when I do have my own children it will be something I will speak to them about because I don't want them to feel like it's not so, it's something that doesn't happen. Um, because it should it should be something we we speak about and um. I mean I don't not many of my family know about it because nobody knows what to say to you and I don't really think there is a right thing to say. There's a lot of wrong things to say, um, and I've had a lot of those. But I think it's more fine like just learning like teaching them that these things happen um and it's okay to talk about them or not to talk about them you can write about them you can sing songs about them um there's lots of ways you could do it i mean i find i will do one thing a day to remember um the babies that i've lost so i'll either sing a song or um i'll write a poem or uh, look at the sky or give a walk and just think of the what we may have been doing at this time um, and that makes me feel like I've not forgotten, them so that they did exist because I think a lot of the thing I find difficult is to everybody else they didn't exist.
0: If you've listened to episode nine of this podcast you'll know I used to practice mindfulness as a teenager I found it comforting back then and I thought it may be useful now You'll also know I'm not religious, so I'm not seeking comfort in that respect. I think it's just the permission to be still with my own thoughts and feel okay about them. Again though, I had no idea where to start and so I had a bit of a snoop around and found an account on Instagram hosted by Vicky Rens called Healing After Miscarriage. I reached out to have a chat with Vicky about her work as a transformational coach and healer.
3: Part of Oh My Mama Body has a miscarriage section called Healing After Miscarriage. Um, It's something that from my own story. So I had five miscarriages. I'm a mother of seven, so I have five angels and I have two lovely boys here with me, earthside. Now, I work nowadays as a mama coach to really help women to heal through miscarriage, giving them a guide and a direction out of the cycle of grief and a pathway forwards to feel strong and empowered again because I wanted that information to be available for you know other women to help them to get from that place of being worried and anxious to finding out the answers to their problems and then what they can do about it. And so I've got this now an A to Z. I I had 50 symptoms all in all, and I was thinking, okay, I need to do something that other women can hear about it. Um, And that's what led me to creating the website Own My Mama Body which is then an A to Z of what's going on with your body during pregnancy and postpartum, as well as really helping those
0: women who have
3: miscarried.
0: What made you connect it all and then want to publish?
3: So going through a multiple miscarriages took me on a pathway to learning to heal. Now, I'm one who... I tried counselling and I just didn't get on with it. And that's my own personal way. And it took me more on the healing route. Um, I've always been quite an intuitive person and loved healing. Like, you know, healing with crystals, intuitive healing, healing with the hands, energy healing. There's so many different healing methods. Most people have heard of Reiki healing, for example. And I really wanted personally during my miscarriage experiences to understand why it was happening, what was wrong with my body? And I know it's, you know, that's one of the most common things with miscarriage. We ask what we've done wrong. We tend to blame ourselves. But I wanted that bigger picture because I thought there must be a reason behind this. It's not just my body, it might be something else. And so I went into different healing methods of really going into these methods. And so I got myself, um, certified in so many different healing techniques. And realized on my journey that going in and really connecting at a different level, um, helps you get to a different level of understanding, a deeper understanding of what's going on. And it really helped me through my cycle of grief. Um, connecting with my emotions, you know, we go through the cycle of feeling first shock, then anger, and you go through blaming yourself, feeling depressed. To acceptance and then moving on, but you're quite easily gonna fall back into the cycle and go through it again because things trigger you. And if you haven't really dealt with the core issues, you know, your anger, your frustrations, and what's going on, then it's so easy to go round and round in the cycle or get stuck at one point. And that's where healing has really helped me personally to face my emotions and to accept and feel that self-worth and self-love again. Um And that's a huge transformation. That's also what I'm helping other women with now, because I think all of us deserve to feel that self-love again after miscarriage. I think what hurts the most is not the physical side of the miscarriage, it's the mental side, it is, it's also the words used by people around you. And I found, I preferred to keep quiet, because I was more worried about what other people were saying, and how that was affecting me. Um, people really want to say the right thing, but it doesn't come across when you miscarriage, and people want to say positive things to you and they'll say things like, "Well, oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. Mm. Maybe it was bad timing. And these kind of words really, really hurt. Mm. They really do, yeah. So I kept to myself. I kept quiet. And it's a lonely time after miscarriage because you don't understand the world around you. You feel completely lost. You're wondering if it's something to do with you. you blaming yourself, feeling guilty. It's a really, really hard time to go through. And that's where healing really, really helped me. And it's also what's given me to really help other women because I can totally empathise with them and how they're feeling and really would like to help them get to that place where they feel
0: whole again as well. And is this what inspired you to start your community then?
3: To me it was Kind of like, it was like the messages that these babies were bringing me. They were saying, hey Vicky, um, you know, you're not happy sitting in an office doing your office job. Have a look. Open your eyes. There's so much more that you could be doing. And so I turned this around um, and I created my website. I created a YouTube channel and I have now written my first book, which is a book of poems around miscarriage. The poetry is something that comes from me, from deep within. And it's something that I really wish I'd have had when I was going through my miscarriages. Because, like I said before, when people think they're saying positive words to you, it's actually the words that hurt the most. You know, ill thought through words, or even worse, complete silence from others. This book of poems is really connecting with deep empathy. And compassion into how a woman who is miscarried, how you are feeling. And there's some beautiful illustrations in there as well that really give that compassion. And if others are feeling lost and they don't know what to say to a friend who is miscarried, to a family member who is miscarried, and this book of poems is the perfect gift for when words fail That you can show that you do care, and it's much needed comfort for someone who has miscarried.
0: And the the benefits of it for your mental health how do you think How do you think it's helped with that?
3: Oh, in so many ways. So, for example, like guided meditation. um, This is something else I've learned through healing, is how important meditation is and affirmations, gratitude, bringing all this into my life, because. On a bad day, you can wake up and feel perhaps like you don't want to get out of bed, that you can't face life. And I find that really simple techniques like meditation and writing down a few sentences about my day ahead, all of my strengths, you know, it's a simple exercise, just two minutes long. These kind of things really help me, and that's what I've learned through healing and That helps me get on every day to feel good.
0: People that are maybe new to the world of healing and, um, things like guided meditation. And if they're skeptic or they're not too sure, what would you say to them?
3: I know that, um, I know that meditation and healing for some is a completely new area to go into. I can really speak from the benefits from how it's benefited me. As in, it's given me that new lease of life. It's given me that feeling of self-worth, self-love. And meditation is something that really helps you not only to relax, but to clear your mind. And it's actually proven with anxiety that meditation can really help. I was looking at statistics the other day around this, and... So many are using meditation nowadays to help themselves feel calmer and better about themselves. And these affirmation statements and gratitude statements, it's not just glossing over and saying, hey, life is great. It's really putting that good feeling back inside yourself so that you give yourself that self love. So, we deserve that.
0: Vicky has kindly recorded a special guided meditation that she's happy for me to share on the podcast. To keep things safe, in case you're listening to this somewhere that may be not useful, helpful, or even a bit dangerous, I've added this recording as a special bonus episode, if it's something you'd like to try or do. The meditation doesn't have any religious undertones. It's just there if you want to take the time for yourself, or if you need it. And on that, I completely get that seeking help or finding ways to talk is not easy. It has taken me ages to approach my grief and to share my story. And whilst I have on the episode 2 audio drama, I've also held a bit back to protect my own mental health and anxiety levels. I still have wobbles, and so I get it's not easy. And it's not anyone's fault. There are stories out there to be read, more and more podcasts are out there to listen to, and there is someone at the end of the phone through charities like the Miscarriage Association, Tommy's Midwives, Sands and Petals. For me... This is a personal journey and this podcast is helping and so whatever your reasons for listening or joining me with it thank you this episode was recorded by me in my duvet then the music is small bump by ed sheeran thank you to julia bueno laura from living with baby loss lauren from recurrent miscarriage writer and vicky Renz. thank you also for those of you who replied to my instagram post and to the actors who read them for the episode if you're going through it right now, there's links to help available on the website tryingagainpodcast.com. If you've liked this, please share it. And if you haven't already, provide a rating and comment on your podcast app. It helps others find it. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode. And if you do want to try out the special guided meditation from Vicky, that's up next. You
1: can rub your fingers round my thumb and hold.